Bam 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 Hi everyone, welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm Lisa Linky. I'm Misty Stinnett. See, I imitated you, and Thank I did a you. good job. You, you imitated me, but before I even spoke, which is even better. <laughs> Premeditated imitation. Pre-premitation. Say that three times fast. Listen, I have a real problem with portmandus. I make portmandus all the time. What is a portmandu? Premitation, where you take two words and blend them into one, like brunch. Oh, it's interesting that portmandu isn't like permandu. <laughs> that really got Lisa. That one really got me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and of course, this is not the uh, full book review like we do on no, full episodes. No, ma'am. This is the weekly, weekly beef. beef. That was my was that attempt a cow? at a Because steer. it sounded like something dying like in the Like a cat bushes. was in a fight. Thank you. Like a bloated cat was. Yeah. So this is our weekly beef episode, which means every uh, week we check in on the previous episode. We check in with whoever was assigned homework and Mm -hmm. um, if we have any follow-ups. And today we have significant follow-up. Yeah. So so we are going to dive into, of course, all of that, uh, all that we teased about the mini-sode. Indeed. Of the follow-up of Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. But before we do... I've got to tell you about my homework experience. Yeah, I'm dying to hear it. Well, actually, I know about it, but I'm dying to hear you explain it. That's right. And there will be a supplementary vidya. Yes. So Lisa came over to my apartment and forced me at gunpoint to do a vision board. (laughs) Uh, She assigned me to do a vision board. And what's interesting is I've never... Most of this is true. (laughs) Yeah, most of it. It wasn't a gun. It was a knife. That's fine. So... um, Lisa came over and so kindly, I think you just knew intuitively that I wouldn't prepare anything and would need all the help I can get. I don't know if it was intuitively so much as that you straight up yelled at me, oh, I hate you when I assigned this to you. So I'm going to say it was that. Yeah. So um, uh, so Lisa came over with magazines, tape, scissors, cereal boxes to make our vision boards out of. It was dog biscuit boxes. It was, oh, sorry, dog biscuit boxes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Repurposing. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, it was, I was experiencing so much resistance leading up to it. The actual act of doing it with you was not as painful as I thought it would be. But I also think it helped that you set a timer. You said we can, we're going to spend 10 minutes like picking out images and only 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then we are going to just spend another five minutes putting them on very quickly. And that's it. And sort of setting these parameters of it's just going to be how you want to feel a month from now or Mm -hmm. within the next month. So that really helped because a lot of times I think I imagine vision boards to be these like huge poster boards filled with like intentions and goals and things you want to accomplish all year long or in your entire life or this big grand scheme of things rather than just how would I like to feel and focus my attention in that moment? Yeah. Yeah. We'll put the the video up on um, our Instagram account at Go Help Yourself Podcast on Instagram. Um, But basically, it was really cool to see because as I was picking out images in the moment, 
I didn't feel like I was doing anything cohesive. It felt like I was grabbing random things. Well, we were playing music and we were just kind of chit-chatting and laughing and having yeah, a good time. Yeah, and my left brain was busy trying to find images while I feel like my right brain was secretly selecting yeah. the right ones because I ended up with a pile of pretty cohesive things. It was about uh um it was pictures of restoration hardware, like outdoor loungy chairs, because mm-hmm. I had a restoration hardware catalog, um, against a mountain or near a beach. It was words like true relief. Um, happy. Happy. It, you know, it was just interesting to see, like, it was kind of the antithesis of having a full schedule and being stressed out. And so that was really interesting. And um I taped it up next to my nightstand. You did. I did so that I would see it within a few minutes of waking up, which was your recommendation yeah. to sort of like permeate the subconscious levels before yeah, you're fully awake. Kind of prime you. Prime the pump. Yeah. And and before I left uh, for a couple of mornings for work, I looked at it and I did feel relaxed looking at it. I had a physical response to the images. Misty, that's cool. It was really cool. And so I... I'm starting to understand the power of a vision board. I don't know if I'm going to do it often or as a practice, or maybe I won't do it for years and then I'll become gung-ho. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I realized I have no problem going on Pinterest and making, like, boards for, like, living room inspiration or, like, how I'd like my life to be or vacation or whatever. But when it comes to physically saying here's what's in my head and my goals and putting them on paper, I don't know why I was having so much resistance or why I'm still having resistance to it. I think that's great. So I would love to know if anybody listening also has resistance to vision boards because I was not happy about it. Now that it's over, I'm glad I did it and had that experience. But there's a part of my mind that's still like, yeah, well, fuck that. Like, did it once, done. Close that door. So I understand that. Yeah. Um, I feel like the... The time that you put into it, which is probably all told, including us making the video, maybe 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. to give you a couple minutes of relief in the morning. Mm. Like, would you set aside 30 minutes to give yourself, like, a repeated sense of relief? Right. Like, would you meditate for 30 minutes in order to achieve relief throughout the week? You'd think I would, because every time I do my vocal warm-up or a Headspace, mm-hmm. I use the Headspace app to do guided meditations, I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. But I also have resistance leading up to them. Girl, I feel you. Yeah, so um, so I'm just being aware and clocking that resistance and not it. judging myself for it. I love that. Too much. <laughs> I'm not yet it. Yeah, but I will say I keep seeing, um, in my brain, I keep seeing, like, mountains uh-huh. uh, just kind of there throughout the day, and it just makes me... It's going to make me book, like, you know, a, an overnight somewhere where there's mountains just to relax. Sometimes Zach and I like to do that. We'll just split a hotel room and, like, get away for a day. Yeah. And so I think it's time for one of those. So the vision well, board helped with I that. I think that's great because I also think, like you said, when your left brain was busy with the physical activity, your right brain could really just kind of spot things and pull them out. Mm-hmm. And something else we talked about that um, – this woman that I worked with for a little bit, who's my life coach, Tanya TKO. I love her so much. She said, you know, your spirit doesn't know the difference between now and the future or now and the past. So like when you look at your vision board, your spirit doesn't know that you're saying this isn't how I am now. And that's like, it's how I'd like to be. Oh, So there's a difference between your conscious self who says, 
this is not what I have and it's what I want. Right. Versus your spirit who looks at it and is like, okay. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that I, when she said that to me, that was very interesting. And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, it's interesting because that is incorporating a little bit more of that, you know, what we call the woo-woo perspective, mm-hmm. which is, and we don't mean that in a dis- dismissive way. It's just, Mm-mm. it, you know, tr- trying to encapsulate a lot in mm-hmm. a little, in just a few words. But that that is leaning more into that spiritual side, which is something I'm still trying to embrace or figure out yeah. because I am so technical, practical, science-based. Yes. Yeah. Stam. Stam. I get it. I get it. Um for what and I am too. Yeah. For whatever reason that really spoke to me because I I don't feel like my spirit, my, the essence of myself mm-hmm. um is linear. I guess, yeah. right? It well, kind of exists. Well, time is a construct it is. anyway. It doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. It's a fun wormhole if you want to go on a That's TED right. radio hour podcast. Yeah. Everyone saw Arrival, right? Right. Time is a circle. It is. Okay. But basically, I, I guess that really spoke to me because my spirit, you know, like when you look out um, on a beautiful vista or, you're, mm. uh, you know, you see a, something that takes your breath away. Yeah. That to me isn't from a place in my consciousness that is... Um, Linear and rule following. You right. know what I mean? It's not left it's brain. Connect- I don't even it's think just it's right connectedness brain. And I just, like, yeah, yeah, it's connectedness. And so I think that piece of me exists regardless of time and space. Lisa. Your face is so funny right now. Lisa, I just have a big dopey smile. I just I mean, this feels like you're this feels like an an aspect, one tiny aspect of self-help from Tanya TKO mm-hmm. that you're really embracing. And if, if this is the first episode you're listening to, maybe you can't tell, but Lisa, <laughs> not so into the self-help thing. Not, very not into th- authority figures mm-hmm. telling her what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a great segue, Misty. Yeah. Um, so again, the video will be up on YouTube and we'll put a link into our uh, Instagram bio. Yeah. Um, and you can and you can see it. It's- and you can see a lot of... Passive-aggressive, fully aggressive, <laughs> um, disdainful, judgmental, spiteful looks to, at, and because of Lisa. It's, but I'll tell <laughs> you, the, the transformation real. is gorgeous. It's a beautiful transformation. Thank you. Any Thank HGTV you. show would be jealous. That's right. We are in, like, or at least I am in sweatshirts and, you know. <laughs> oh, You'll see I, us at our true selves. The grease in my hair That's is right. intense. Yeah. And if We used you it to stand up the vision it. board. <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> You otter, and that's a pun that you'll get when you watch that's that. That's right. <laughs> you really otter watch it. Um, but it's a great segue into um, yes. what we're going to talk about. So our last episode was about Girl, Wash Your Face. The, By Rachel Hollis. The phenom- phenomenal selling book, the number two You were two saying it's the number two Amazon. bestseller on Amazon, only behind Fire and Fury yes. last year. So people wanted to know about Dish in the White House and... Rachel Hollis' That's right. Wife. That's right. Um, I want to say really quickly, I have not read Girl, Wash Your Face. Great. And I have no idea what you're about to say. Great. But you are going to bring up criticisms about the book that you experienced and that are sort of out there in popular culture. Is that right? I'm going to touch on a few that I experienced after I talk about what is out there in popular culture right, right now. Right. Um because it kind of leads to it. And there's mm-hmm. a question posed in this amazing article that I read that I think gets at the crux of why I hate self-help. Okay. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. So I really love this article. I'm covering it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. So 
just to recap, Girl, Wash Your Face is written by Rachel Hollis, um, and she's got over a million Instagram followers. She's from Weed Patch, California. That was it. I couldn't remember the name of it last last uh, episode. Weed Patch. Weed Patch. Um, but, and that's from a scene in The Grapes of Wrath. Mm. Um, where uh, the watchman at the migrant worker camp in Weedpatch tells the Jode family about the Holy Rollers, the Pentecostal ministers who'd been right. coming through town. Right. So, um, and she herself is the daughter and granddaughter of Holy Rollers. Uh, her family immigrated, their family immigrated from Oklahoma and Arkansas and Kansas and ended up in Weedpatch. Okay. And so, um, just, to, just to remind everyone, she... Uh, left home and started this family planning, um, family planning, excuse me, party planning event, mm-hmm. uh, uh, event planning business after she worked for Miramax and met Matt Damon um, <laughs> and wanted to marry him. And, um, and then started this media empire called yeah. um, Chic Media and has is very wildly successful and is likened to Tony Robbins and is married to her husband, Dave, yeah. and he's the company CEO now. Yeah. And they um, she has motiva- motivational speaking circuits and podcasts. And now she's ha- a big deal. She's a big deal. And I hadn't heard of her before this book, but I she upon further examination, she's a big deal. She is a big deal deal. Mm-hmm. So this book was published by Thomas Nelson, which is a HarperCollins imprint devoted to Christian content. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's, I, I said, I loved the format of the book. Yeah. Each chapter was a lie that she told herself, and then she kind of pulls apart that lie, why yeah. it was hurtful. And at the end, she always wraps up with three practical things that you can do if you also tell yourself this lie right. to get out of it. Right. And there were a lot of things that we were like, that's a true lie. That resonates with me. That's that's something we tell ourselves too, et cetera. But I could tell you were getting really triggered in the last episode. You know, I really did. You really did. Um, There's a lot of refraining happening. Yeah. So... The woman who wrote this article on BuzzFeed, her name is Laura Turner, and she wrote this amazing article, and the the title of the article is called Girl, Wash Your Face is a Massive Bestseller with a Dark Message. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so she says that... Uh, and she calls us out, uh, the internet has given rise, and I'm quoting her here, the internet has given rise in the last few years to a phenomenon I've come to call, quote, curated imperfection. And Hollis is one of its reigning doyens, which I guess is a word I didn't know. Yes. Like a denizen it, or a doyen? Yeah, obviously. I have no idea what it means. Great. Um, <laughs> So she has over a million Instagram followers, and she regularly posts inspirational quotes from her own writing, um, selfies when she's not looking at the camera but is holding up her book to the camera, uh, photos with her husband reminding you to subscribe to her podcast or check out their marriage conference, which they host, which is $1,800 per couple for two days, not including hotel, no refunds. Marriage conference. Mm -hmm. How long have they been married? Do you remember? Probably like... Uh, 10 years, I would yeah. say. Okay. Eight or 10 years, Because she's under 30 or is just about 30 and yeah. has four kids. Yeah. So she also uploads a steady like stream of videos to YouTube and tons of... And it kind of varies from like chatty family life updates, this woman says. Like, say hello to Dave's new Bronco. Also to like inspirational montages okay. from her speaking engagements. Do you feel like giving up? Those are titles of two different videos on okay. YouTube. So this woman really understands uploading and owning content and creating content. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's really making it happen. Yeah. So she's really kind of, the, so the core of her business is shifting away from being a lifestyle influencer mm-hmm. to being like 
um, this motivational speaker and, and like an authority figure on how of. to have this amazing life. You know, and and she's really relatable. You know, she mm-hmm. tells, she keeps saying, like, I'm not an expert. I'm not a guru. Mm-hmm. Um, anything I've ever done has been because I tried the recipe 10 times myself until I perfected it. Yeah. Or I heard from my girlfriend how to do it. So it's really kind of, like, built on the sense of community. Yeah, and I, I quickly glanced at her. I You know, I didn't want to know too much about her before right. we had this conversation, but I quickly glanced at her Instagram page, and there was a lot of sweatpants, but her hair looks great. And uh, one one post that stood out to me was like, she was sort of like bearing her flaws, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm using quotes here. Um, but she was in a bikini and was like, here's my, I still have a flabby tummy from carrying three huge babies. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm still in a bikini. And I, mm-hmm. you know, haven't mm-hmm. gotten the weight off and I'm still in a bikini. And it was just like this sort of like, <clears throat> yeah, bearing your flaws kind of mess- which, like I you said we, curated messiness yeah which we talked about last time which i think is fascinating and yeah. i think people really love the vulnerability yeah they love that somebody's being so vulnerable so what are some of the top criticisms well so this idea that like she vows to be authentic and si- sincere in her online life mm-hmm. and so in the book she writes about for every gloriously styled cupcake picture we produced i shared a photo of myself with facial paralysis because remember she got bell's palsy for right, a little bit right but in this first chapter she describes getting dressed and attending the oscars with because her husband Dave used to work for disney before he became the ceo of their company got it and in these instances she says photos show up on instagram and facebook of us looking well quaffed and ultra glam and the internet goes wild and she really and so this author of this article says note the use of passive voice here photos show up yeah no the photos didn't show up yeah like you had someone take your picture and you posted it like mm-hmm. if you own a media company nothing that you post yeah is is haphazard right because like getty images might have it in their archives if it was a photographer yeah. at the oscars but you it's post- pull it down and it's posted right. at the exact right time of day as studied by your team to right. engage the most off of social media okay so so there's so there's so Your there's whole that. body language is it's getting really tense and it's like, really tense because this is a very popular book and people love it. You know what? But it's it's just you and me and our <laughs> hundred thousand listeners. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Here go the thing. Yeah, just lay just lay it out. Safe space. I didn't. I couldn't appreciate the book because I felt this veneer of inauthenticity. Copy that. Even though she was laying bare this vulnerability, it still felt curated to me. Huh. And I, I, it made it hard for me. And here are the two main reasons why. Yeah. When she, when she talked about the I am not my weight chapter, mm-hmm. some real fat phobia and fat shaming came out from her. Yes. Um, including like saying shit equivalent, not exactly, but saying that the creator doesn't want you to be overweight or out of shape. Right. Which is really bigoted. It's bigoted and it's also super presumptuous to be like, I know the mind of God. Yeah. It's a little, it's, yeah. It's, that's a sweeping statement to make. And also, I told you from the very first get, the introduction is titled, Hey Girl, Hey. And I'm like, Yeah, you felt like that was cultural appropriation. A little bit, but also it's like, Do you really talk like that? Well, I, I don't know because I haven't watched any of her videos. Maybe. Maybe she does. I don't know. But the thing that stuck with me... It didn't feel authentic from the the picture on the front of the book. 
Right. Yes. And the thing that stuck with me without, again, disclaimer, have not read this book, only going by my interpretation of your interpretation that you shared with me, is that in the beginning, she says, people ask me how I can do it all and doesn't really she doesn't acknowledge that she has help she mm-hmm. has a until nanny the very end of the until book. the very end of the book and her nanny's in the acknowledgement so mm-hmm. if you hadn't read the acknowledgements would you even know she has a nanny does her nanny come up on instagram you know it's like yeah I don't want to assume, but if you've got a media company and a nanny, chances are you also have a maid who comes in to housekeep or you hire a house cleaning company or you have your nanny do some of that. I don't know, but it's like, you know, it's one, it's if you're going to own up to it and be authentic, let us know you have help because otherwise you are making us feel like it's relatable, but in this way that we can't attain. Yeah. It's this aspirational Say, I don't know. I've been reading a lot of self-help books that are like if your success is dependent on other people not being able to reach your level and having to like claw their way to get there, maybe reevaluate what you are doing. Yeah. Also in this – so in this recent Instagram post, which BTW, just after like the day that we recorded mm-hmm. um, this episode, mm-hmm. she was uh, kind of called out for m- – making other people's quotes her own on Instagram. Oh, right. So she kind of, and throughout the book, she kind of takes things that have been said and makes them her own. Like words them a little bit different? Yeah, or just, and just kind of attributes them to the way she says it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying like, Rumi once said this and that really resonates with me. Yeah. Or whatever. And so she'll put that on our Instagram. So people start to say, hey, you're basically plagiarizing because you're putting your name at the bottom of these things and people reached out to them and they didn't really comment but they recently kind of pulled down all of those problematic oh she she did they did so they don't exist on the instagram anymore i don't think they i mean you know somebody has saved them but of course i I think they're pulled of all the ones and um so Hmm. here here and so she has been through adversity right so the suicide of her brother really put her on the trajectory and and she yeah. takes it and and is has really made something of herself um and then she in a recent instagram post so getting back to this in a recent instagram post she thanked her followers for helping her sell over a million total copies of girl wash your face and she kind of gave some insight into who she thinks is her target demographic um she says, thank you for writing a review. Thank you for hollering at the other girls on your MLM team to read it. Thank what you. is MLM? Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't 100% sure of that. Um, but I want to, If I don't know if that was mid-level, what is that, mass-level marketing? or what Mid-level it, management? What is that? No, I think it's, or is it mom? Multi-level marketing? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Remember that? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up right now. Um, because I don't remember, because I was, of course, fuming. Um, <laughs> you're doing such a good job because I can tell how triggered you are and I can tell you're being careful. It's multi-level marketing. Multi-level marketing. So that's okay. like your Arbonne's, your Mary Kay's, your... Um, oh, oh, your Rodan and Fields, your... Uh-huh, mm-hmm. and also your... What was the one that was... Um, that the FDA sued because it was like the nutrition bar, whatever. Oh, I don't know. All of those. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Sorry, I interrupted you. No. In the middle of the caption. Thank you. You were telling me I was doing a great job. And I say thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also was like, what's MLM in the middle of your sentence? So 
she said, thank you for telling other wives on base that it's worth their time. So she's really kind of. Oh, that's interesting. Other wives on base, multi-level marketing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I get it. I think that makes sense. She, You know what? I give her props for knowing who her people are. Mm-hmm. Um, so this woman, Laura, who wrote this article, in, uh, spoke with more than a dozen women for the story, friends of friends, people who respond on social media, um, to ask like what it is exactly about Hollis's stuff that appeals to them. Mm-hmm. And some people said it's her, adversi- it's her adversity that gives her credibility. Um, it's the stuff that she creates, um, being empowered. And this and this writer says, you know, look, being empowered to let go of my anxiety or self-criticism as a wealthy white woman is certainly helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that message from Hollis on a certain level. But my anxiety is largely rooted in unrealistic fears, whereas many women don't have the opportunity to go back to college or own a house mm-hmm. from which to be liberated. Mm-hmm. Hollis's book is in many ways a return to the kind of second wave, wave feminism that the privilege uh-huh. that privileged the liberation of middle class straight white women from the domestic sphere, sphere, while at the same time completely ignoring yeah. or actively opposing the rights and needs of poor and queer non-white and non-white women. It's like the feminine mystique by Betty Friedan. Yeah. Yep. 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 Exactly that. So then they talk about how there's problematic with her goals being materialistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she does talk a little bit about this patina of racial diversity that's been another hallmark of Pentecostalism. Um, what do you mean? So this this author – so th- there's a historical context within Pentecostal religious tradition – it's, she says that Pentecostalism has always been the, this is the author's words, slightly embarrassing uncle at the evangelical family reunion. Oh. <laughs> it's unfiltered oh, no. and emotional expressions of faith can make it look a little unseemly to outsiders. These are this author's words. Okay. And she says Pentecostals have long associated spiritual blessing with material wealth, which may help mm. explain, explain why there's um, something talismanic about the Louis Vuitton bag for Hollis. This is this oh, author's word. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. It showed her that hard work and strategic goal setting channeled the kind of earnest faith that God rewarded in the form of $10,000 consulting checks. Right. Right, so that, so I think some people... Like when you when you come into material abundance, it's like God is really blessing our family. That's right, okay. because you've, you have... It's an outward expression. Of how well you are. you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so then this author says this racial diversity, this patina of racial diversity has always been another hallmark of this um, religion. During the, She says, although during the civil rights era, racism from white li- leaders of the church caused a division that lasted through the 1960s and well into today in some parts of the country. In the U.S., the, momentum, the, the movement gained momentum in the early days of the 20th century with some revivals. Um, but white Pentecostals displayed a religious version of black cultural appropriation. Oh. Um, Charles Fox Parham, a preacher and early proponent of Pentecostalism, heard reports that, quote, white people were imitating the unintelligent, crude Negroisms of the Southland and laying it on the Holy Ghost, end quote. Whoa. So this author felt like this kind of appropriation was rampant throughout the book. And you hadn't read that article no. before you had the response to the Hey Girl Hey, which no. are the first three words in the book. But this author does say it's impossible to read the book and not notice Hollis's frequent use of African-American vernacular English, beginning with the title. Girl. Wash, wash your, your face. face. The introduction, Hey Girl Hey. 
and her popular mangled quote of Maya Angelou saying, when you know better, you do better, to explain why she wants to become a better hip-hop dancer in her. I mean, that's a smaller piece of a larger story, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. again. Um, okay. I want to get to the crux of this. So, so you yeah. see where—so I think I was sensing this discomfort. Yeah. Um, and that prevented me— It wasn't—it sounds like it wasn't sinking up for you. No. So here's here's the the real problem. Mm-hmm. Lay it on us. So the author puts this key question in, and this mm-hmm. makes me really this this spoke to me. The author of the article. The author of the article. Okay. She said, "Are people who have problems responsible for fixing them themselves?" Hmm. Or is there some collective responsibility that we are shirking? Does a society owe something to all of its members? There are dark implications in making everything a matter of personal responsibility, which is Hollis's bias. You might remember that she puts out in the beginning of the book, um, you and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. That's right. And so, so Laura, the BuzzFeed ar- uh, article author says... There are dark implications in making everything a matter of personal responsibility, which is her bias. She asks us to interrogate and deconstruct the lies that we've believed about ourselves, and I wonder how that lens would function if we turn it on the lies she promulgates. I don't know that word. Promulgates? P-R-O-M-U-L-G-A-T-E-S. Yeah, promulgates. Great. Promulgates. So, so. She says, like, in good faith, I think what Hollis uh, means, and she declined to be interviewed for this this article, okay. is some of the I am the captain of my soul stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I have to make the decision to be happy. No one else is going to do that for me. And to a degree, the author says that makes sense, right? Your mental, physical, and emotional well-being are influenced by your mindset. But mindset isn't the only thing that influences your well-being. That's right. And so There's the hierarchy of needs. Yes. Right? There's social stratus and, and yeah. repressive systems in place. Oh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I keep thinking about... You know, the image that comes to mind in this moment, um, you know, at risk of sounding naive is like, what if you are born into an impoverished country? I watched this documentary that has stayed with me so vividly since the moment I watched it. It's called Born Into Brothels. Mm -hmm. It is touching. It's poignant. It's heartbreaking. It's inspiring. It's everything. And it follows a group of kids who are born into uh, to parents born into brothels <laughs> in the red light district of in Calcutta. Amsterdam. Oh, oh, of Calcutta, of Calcutta. And you know, if you are a child who's growing up in the red light district, where when you're 11 or 12 years old, your body's going to be put on the line mm-hmm. and it's going to be sold for sex, and you know, there's poverty all around you. People are are living amongst garbage or in shacks, or if you have a, a shelter, it's you know not what we would mm-hmm. would deem as acceptable in America or whatever. Um, that's not a mindset thing. You're not. You're not. You can't necessarily be the captain of your own ship in that Do moment. Do you get to say and to you, that person, "Look, you and only you are responsible, are responsible for making yourself for happy, for who you have become," and it it does feel like a privileged thing. And I I I just wish people used more caveats and yes. said like, if she said, "Look, if you are born into middle class racial privilege, 
education privilege, then you are responsible for da 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 da. I don't know. What if you have depression? Yeah. What if you um, suffered a trauma that is taking you decades to recover from? Mm -hmm. And is it your responsibility and yours alone Mm -hmm. to recoup from that? Well, and it also says, I have the answer and look, I'm doing it. And then if you are not able to do that same thing, you need me, you need my products, you need to buy this over again, you need to hear what I'm saying over again. Yeah. I, I don't know. This is why self-help fascinates me so much because there is and so much. And why it angers me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, I mean, like, fascinated in a morbid way. Like, it's yeah. a train wreck and I can't look away. It's like, why do I watch true crime? It's horrible. Yeah. I, but I'm fascinated by well, it. Well, let me just, I want to say a couple more things from Please. this article and then I want to chat about it with yeah. you and just kind of say what we what we Please. feel. Um not she says not everyone has enough money to let them take the kind of professional and financial risks that might lead to greater happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like systemic racism can wear on a person to the point that it degrades her health. Yeah. At the same time, it restricts her access to good health care, yeah. resulting in higher rates of chronic disease and shorter life expectancies for black women than white women, which is true and documented. Oh my God. You know, black women, so black women in childbirth have an incredibly high rate. They have a crazy a high mortality, mortality rate. rate. And it's not because uh, of anything they're doing. It's not some genetic not thing. No. It's that they receive worse care and if it in were the genetic, delivery room. That would even give us more reason to know it and address it. That's right. That's exactly so, right. So, and then the last thing, that she writes about, can you tell a woman who has lost her hoped-for child as a result of state officials turning a blind eye to water poisoning crisis in a predominantly black area or a mother seeking asylum whose child was taken away from her at the border that you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are? You can, but you'd be wrong and cruel. Mm -hmm. And so she says Hollis doesn't address the possibility that for some people, obstacles to happiness are outside their control. That's right. And it is proof of her hard-earned privilege that she doesn't have to. Yeah. And so I'm going to close my laptop and just talk to you a little bit freely. And for those of you listening, thank you. I know it's, my mom used to read to me articles all the time and I would get so annoyed because I'd be like, just let me read it. Um, So mom, thank you. Um, Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Linda. But also like, I guess it just makes me very sad because in some senses, I think if you have um, thick skin, Mm-hmm. If you have a lot of opportunity, you can pick up a book like this and feel inspired. Mm-hmm. If you face systemic oppression or if you face a, a disease that keeps you from having money to yeah. make big moves or to feel like you're in control of yourself, either physically or physiologically or even mentally or emotionally. Yeah. I feel like sometimes books like this can be a kick in the teeth, and especially yeah. because they're so popular and everybody's like, it's amazing. And look, even I love the structure of the book. Yeah. But I I bristle at this idea, and I want to talk to you about this idea, mm-hmm. this core thing that this mm-hmm. woman, this brilliant woman who wrote this article kind of solidified for me. Does self-help as a genre kind of let everybody as a society shirk away from responsibility. Mm. What a great question. I know. I basically spoke for like 40 minutes straight and then said, answer no, me no, this. No, no, no. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of is like, so 
We read I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual by Lovia Ajayi yeah. just a couple episodes ago. And while it sounded more like a self-help book when I picked it up, upon reading it, I realized it's more of um, like a pop culture critique. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like Lovey did a better job addressing the systemic problems um, in American and Western society and, you know, critiquing those and saying, here's who here's who is responsible for this than any other book we've read. And what's interesting is we have read books that range from complete internal value shifts. Yeah. To uh, like the life changing magic of tidying up, which is about how your you your space and how you consume goods yeah. ultimately and value or thank or let go of permission to to let go, kind of uh, tackling a lot of philosophy behind consumerism. Mm-hmm. Um, to things like the charisma myth and the five second rule, which are like in the moment, here you know here's a mm-hmm. practical tool to get a task accomplished, mm-hmm. or when you're speaking with someone, here's how to make them feel. Uh, more warm towards you mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. more responsive. It's like this, these aren't, first of all, I th- always think blanket statements are dangerous, but this genre as a whole spans such a wide array yeah. of, yeah, what the publishers consider self-help. Yeah. I mean, it, Jillian it, Michaels is self-help. Right. <laughs> right. Excel uh, Excel for Dummies is self-help. Yes. And everything from, you know, Christian publishing books all the way to secular spiritual books mm-hmm. to here's <laughs> here's how to make a jello mold better, yeah. you know, can all be included. And uh, something I learned existed earlier this week that I haven't looked into, I just realized it was a brand and immediately was like never looking that up again. But there's something called White Girl Rosé. It's a brand of rosé called White Girl Rosé. And it's interesting because, you know, it, can is it practical to go around making caveats before we say every single thing and write every single book, no, et cetera, but it's also irresponsible to not do some of that when it's necessary. And it's interesting. It feels like in thinking about White Girl Rosé, this is almost like a book that you could slap a label on. Again, I have not read this book. This is my own opinion and judgment. But you could slap a label on it that's like, this is for middle-class Christian, Mm -hmm. educated, you know, that's who this book is going to be good for or people will relate to. I'm not saying you can't take anything out of it, but you know what I mean? Like, as a whole, it's like with Betty Friedan, The Feminine Mystique, which came out in the 1950s or 60s, so many people responded to that. But but whereas, you know, white, middle-class, educated women who were making homes and not in the workforce were going, oh, my God, that is the problem that has no name. I And I've read this book. That is the problem that has no name, and I do want to be in the workforce, and that's what I need to feel more autonomy. There were women of color who were like, we've been working two and three jobs our entire life. That is not – that is not a pro- – you know, that was the big critique there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think all of that is right and true. And I, I, also, I'm the person picking this book up and reading it. Yeah. So I acknowledge that. I the books don't have to make a caveat for me. Oh right, because you're do, yeah, I'm consuming you're, still, you're consuming it. Right. I do think there is something unique because I was hearing this little lecture by Stephen Fry talking about the difference mm. between British humor and, and American humor. Yes. And in British humor, the characters tend to be very like 
I'm horrible. I'm awful at this. Everything mm-hmm. about me is terrible. And the, it, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, yeah. right? Whereas American characters are like, I'm great, but people don't see how great I am. Yeah. And he's like, but because if you walk into any bookstore in America, the biggest section is self-help because they just believe that everything can be better. They have the get up and go. They can do it. It can be better. Right. And he's like, British people, we just know that sometimes shit is shit. Oh, I, yes. (laughs) Nana is British. And I would agree with that 100%. Like, she's very much just like, this is the situation. Deal with it. Not like we don't have to, like, hug each other and kumbaya over everything. I think that. While, yes, I am responsible for picking up this book and consuming it, mm-hmm. I also think that it's in our culture to constantly be moving, constantly be improving all of this. Yeah. And I just think that there is something to be said by laying all of this on an individual without support. Yeah, I completely agree. And in an ideal world, in in Misty's ideal world— mm-hmm. There would be societal support and programs to help make up for some of these gaps to root out the disparities, you know, and it's it's like we're all we always seem to be trying to work on this, but it never really gets implicated at like a meaningful yeah. local level. Um, but it it's 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 like you were saying last week. It seems like Anybody these days, because social media is still brand new. I mean, Mm -hmm. we are really in the first 10 years of this thing that has changed the way we market and interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember when Instagram came out. I remember when Twitter came out. Mm -hmm. It was like, what the fuck's a tweet? Mm -hmm. Why is there this little blue bird? I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still don't get it. It's fine. Um, (laughs) It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm on Instagram. I post once a year. So, but you were saying, like, everybody who has a following— gets to write a book these days. And and yes, it's a consumer society and we are choosing to do that. But if you have a platform, you have a responsibility. Whether you want it or not, you have a responsibility to not put fucking vitriol poison in the world. Not fat shame people or encourage people to fat shame not i don't think she's thinking that she's putting out poison or vitriol at all in fact i think she's feeling like she's doing more of her brand which is to be inspiring to people didn't you say that in the weight chapter she said i know i'm gonna get flack for this she did my team has told me because i am a media person not to publish this but i don't think she thinks that it's vitriolic or that Mm -hmm. it's 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 Wrong. I yeah. think she's like, I'm speaking my truth, mm-hmm. and I know this to be true, and I know this is what made me happy. Right. And people are paying me a book to write about what makes me happy. Right. And I, I don't I don't think this is a thing that can be solved or can be pinned yeah. down. Yeah. But I do think it really helped nail down for me why I hate self-help, in addition to not liking anybody telling me what the fuck to do because you don't know me. Right. But um, – Laying everything on the individual seems so unfair and unjust. Yeah. And assuming that whatever your problems are, especially since self-help is such a vast industry, that it's all upon the individual to solve it seems like total shit to me. I mean, look at the the family, the what was it, Stur- what is their name, Sturkler family, whatever, who owns Purdue Pharma that owns OxyContin. Mm, uh-huh. Those people did horrible, horrible. terrible things. Yes, they, they did. wanted to develop allegedly. I'm gonna say it. I know. <laughs> they wanted to develop an OxyContin for children. 
They also missed, they knew that Oxycontin was wildly addictive. Yes. And I they, do copywriting for this and they marketed it as safe anyway. They did. As hope in a bottle. And there's literally. emails that said, we yeah. have to blame this on the, um, the addicted. Yeah. We have to paint them yeah. as violent, you know, like loser, like, yeah. Idiots. And fuck them. I know. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. But do you know what? They're putting it all on the individual, and we bought that fucking lie. So we we tell alcoholics, we tell anybody that you have to do it on your own. Don't hate me for what I'm about to say. I already do. But we... I'm going to circle it back to Dr. Gay Hendricks and say, I know. Oh, my (laughs) God. Wait for it. Wait for it. That with society and with individuals, is there room to take 100% of the blame each? I hate you so much right now. And yet, is it sparking anything? <laughs> it's not sparking joy, I'll tell you that. No, no, no. But I. But what I mean is, like, we are responsible for <laughs> what we laughing. can be. <laughs> Sam is dying. <laughs> Wait, he's a, wow. Um, <laughs> no, but really, like, it's just one of those things where, like, if the individual can take... No, I'm going to push back. Okay. Is it an individual's fault if they're hooked on Oxy? No, 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 no. I am saying 100% society take 100% of the blame and the individual. And I'm not saying like that's those are his words, but my point is for the little that we can control or the lot that we can control, can we take responsibility? But also society has a huge responsibility in it. Listen, I think the reason that I'm really mad about this is because I think you're right and I hate hate that it came from Gay Hendrix. Which is my moment to remind everyone again, and sorry if you're sick of hearing this. No, don't be sorry. Cherry pick what works for you. And when you're reading a book, if you find that you're having discomfort or you it's not resonating with you. Put the book you, down. Put it down and burn it. <laughs> light it on fire. Throw it out the window, but in a safe way, not on dry grass. Not after a drought, after a good rain. But cherry pick what works for you because like gay Hendrix we overall were like hard pass on this book which and is the big leap episode three I'm gonna I'm gonna what was that oh my god lay what it on me your face right now is so competitive <laughs> wait what was that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Ellen Page where they went inception. inception I'm gonna inception you thank you and say telling somebody to put the book down and realize it is put making it all on the individual right there oh thank you mm-hmm. well okay <laughs> this is going to devolve pretty quickly, but it what, is. what I will say is have a critical eye. Yeah. And and if you can just get in touch with your own self-awareness and, and go, oh, right, this is a dark message. She has some dark, unhealthy, in my opinion, shit to say in this book mm-hmm. without having read it that is harmful mm-hmm. and can be hurtful mm-hmm. and could cause someone who, who doesn't have systems or practice in place to go, oh, that's her judgment and that's not necessarily new, true to me and sort of look yeah. at it with a critical eye, it yeah. could be really damaging. So, uh, just, yeah, so maybe that's... Jesus. Yeah, and I, so maybe also 300%, 100% on society, 100% on um, the reader, and 100%, 100% on the Rachel publisher. Hall. Thank okay. you. But the publishers <laughs> for putting this shit out. Well, and everybody who I mean, elevates remember a million little people. things or a million little, little, million little pieces... pieces. What did that like, remind me? It turned out to be fictional. Yeah, it never. It happened. was not an autobiography. Most yeah. of the pieces were uh, false, mm. and they didn't do their due diligence to double yeah. check some of this ridiculous yeah. stuff. Yeah, and they wanted it to be real, and so right. they had to have a mea culpa. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there needs to be Listen, a mea culpa in the self help publishing. We 
we don't want to have like a four hour episode, which we could keep. There's so much more to explore about yeah. the vastness of self help yeah. and. Well, that's why we started this podcast. That's exactly it. So I just want to know from anyone listening, what are your thoughts? How do you feel about the genre as a whole? Yeah. Have you read anything where you were like, fuck that? Are you able to piecemeal self-help books and enjoy it? Or have you just written off the whole category? Yeah. Or like, do you I, have like um, obsessive compulsive yeah. stuff where you have to finish the book? We're just, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you, are you a completionist you like I am? Finish the That's book. right. Because we are just too... We're just As we say, bitches. brilliant, amazing, oh, right. brilliant, amazing, bitches. fabulous. Sought, I would say sought after bitches, bitches. Yes, just trying to make our way, <laughs> making your way in the world today <laughs> takes everything you got. For all your worries, sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you place. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Dun, 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 dun. And they're always glad you came. Dun, dun, dun. You want to be where you can see. Your troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. We both <laughs> You guys, thank you for listening. Listen, you've heard our theme song. You know we're incredible singers. Um, please, please write us. Please <laughs> hit us on the Twitters, the social media. Or go help yourself podcast at gmail.com. We're at GHY Podcast on Twitter. We're at Go Help Yourself Podcast on Instagram. We want to know. Have a great day. Thank you. Hope this didn't rock you to your core. Let's have a sad, <laughs> let's put a huge chorus of mooing right in here for this week. Yes, beef. palate cleanser and. <laughs> And life, life is, is a, a bun. Boon. <laughs> Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye. Bye.